Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the weekend edition of the Football Social Daily with yet another 48 hours packed with Premier League action. Alongside eight games this weekend, we also have some important breaking news in the last 24 hours that will impact Premier League clubs and Premier League football both on and off the pitch. But we're going to get to that a little bit later as it's the games where we kick ourselves off tonight. Crucial win for Manchester City away at Everton. Manchester United struggles continue as they limped to a nil-nil draw at home to Watford and top four rivals Tottenham and West Ham ramped up the pressure with three massive points apiece. That's all to come in part one of the show. In part two, we're going to be checking out the other end of the table. Newcastle boosted their survival hopes and the Burnley bounce, as I am calling it, the Burnley boing boing bounce has continued away at Crystal Palace. And then to wrap it all up, we'll be looking at those two major stories overnight. Roman Abramovich has handed stewardship of Chelsea Football Club over to the club's charity foundation in a huge, huge move. We're going to be getting the latest reaction to that in part three. And Leeds United have also announced the sacking of iconic manager Marcelo Bielsa. Bielsa's time at Elland Road is over. Right, so another busy show on a busy, busy weekend, and we're going to jump straight into it right from the start. My name's Fergal Brennan, and joining me tonight, we have football broadcaster, and as always, another happy Magpies fan, Isha Acton. Isha, how's things? Very well, thanks. It's great to be on again. It's been a few weeks, actually, hasn't it? I'm feeling great. Wonderful stuff. Your appearances do tend to manage up, marry up even with uh, with a positive Newcastle performance, either a win or a draw. I think, I think, although I might be jinxing them, I think you've not been on after a defeat. Uh, and based on the way that they're playing at the moment, we could have you on every weekend, and uh, and that might well still be the case. Um, alongside Isha, we also have Manchester City fan and top podder himself, Ant McGinley. Ant, how are you doing? 
Yeah, I'm very good. Fresh back from uh, doing Wrestling with the Champ live at the Leicester Comedy Festival and at the same time surviving the floods in Hebden Bridge. I'm glad to say that I am streaming live to you tonight rather than being live in a stream. So I'm very happy. <laughs> Indeed, right. We're going to get stuck straight into the action and to the games from this weekend. Quick disclaimer, though. The uh, EFL Cup final is actually taking place at the time of recording. It's just gone to penalties. The guys are going to be picking it up in detail tomorrow, Jim and the rest of the gang. But I will give you an update as soon as the penalty shootout is over to let you know how it has gone down. But we're going to flick back to last night and the evening kickoff at Goodison Park and Everton nil Manchester City won big big result within the context of the title race Pep Guardiola said just as much in his post-game press conference and he said it was it was vital but he also said it was a deserved win now we're going to talk about a couple of the controversial moments that happened at Goodison in just a second but your take as a City fan was it a deserved win it keeps City with a little bit of a head of steam in the title race but did City deserve all three points um, oh, that's a very good question I, I'd say the overriding emotion uh, from all the City fans was one of relief uh, when that final whistle went especially after some of the things that happened during the game this very much felt like one of those games that seemed to come up every sort of um, every 10 games or so for City and, and unfortunately past seasons in, in the Champions League where we you know, suddenly come up against a team that um, aren't as afraid of us and we're just unable to break them down and it just felt like this was going away from us and I suddenly you know this is a feeling we've not felt as City fans for about three months is this sense of pressure I mean to be fair a lot of the the distance and the gap that we had against Liverpool was simply built up from fixture you know, the way the fixtures had fallen with Covid and those kinds of things and so all that Liverpool have done is that really difficult thing of winning the games that they had in hand uh, but suddenly, especially with that defeat last week with Spurs, the pressure was really on. And you, you could argue that, you know, especially in those big pressure games, those big pressure moments over the last couple of seasons, you know, we haven't performed. We haven't pulled it off. Um, I mean, the, the, the most pressured of them all, the, the Aguero moment in the last seconds, we pulled it off then. Maybe we don't need to ever pull it off again. But there the definitely was a sense in that game yesterday where it just wasn't connecting. It just felt like the game was slipping away from us. Um, and yeah, there, there was a huge stroke of luck with that uh, with the goal. I mean, I thought Foden's finish was brilliant. It was a bit of luck the way the ball uh, came up, but that was all over I dare say a lot of players in the Premier League would have still hit that over the bar or wide. But uh, Michael Keane, I think he, he's been picked on a bit unfairly. Just literally, he's moved as a slight deflection. He's lost his weight. It's gone to, it's gone to Foden. But um, yeah, I definitely think uh, we got away with it especially with that, that penalty claim. And I think the reason we got away to it, with it is is one line, if I can go a lawyer-like, and pick it out from the IFAB. So the 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 the, the law change said, uh, if I find the right bit, it says... Uh, you have to leaf through your if you have to a, leaf through your legal yeah. papers and to prove this, then I think we're in, we're in uncertain territory. This is the one line. This is the line I was looking for. My, my highlighter ran out at this point. Not every contact between the hand arm and the ball is a handball offence, which we know. But the key thing is <clears throat> referees must judge the validity of the hand arm's position in relation to what the player is doing in that particular situation. And I think that is the key point because at the moment that it happened, nobody was really in the vicinity of Rodri. There was no real chance of... 
um, somebody else taking the ball and going in. And now it's on the, it's the two angles that we've seen. It is below the sponsor line on the sleeve, which incidentally, City were the first club to introduce having that sponsor on the sleeve, uh, which is quite handy. Um, but I think possibly the fact that there wasn't a lot of players in a position to take advantage of the ball. There wasn't really any pressure on Drudgery at the moment is possibly what led to the, the vagueness of that decision. But I, I mean, that is literally clutching at sleeve sponsors. That is because, yeah, I think Liverpool were very unlucky uh, to not get that. Just looking at this situation, I have to ask Isha, as someone who's not a Man City fan or an Everton fan, looking at that situation, there has been a lot of controversy, controversy even this season surrounding the new interpretation of handball and Ant's talking about shirt sleeve sponsors and parts of the body that you can score with or can't score with. Ultimately, when you look at that decision, and it's been all over social media all night, freeze frames of Rodri, his movement of his arm towards the ball, etc. The Everton, play, Everton players were livid at full time. Ashley Cole and Frank Lampard were on the pitch remonstrating with, with Paul Tierney, the referee. When you look at that, and we can talk about new interpretations until the cows come home, is it a penalty? 100%. I think it's the most obvious of obvious handballs in recent years. I think Rodri lifted his arm to control the ball. And I know, obviously, like we say, the Premier League have since released that statement revealing why Rodri wasn't penalised and all that. But it's not, it's still, you know, it's not an apology and no decision is being overruled. So it's still not. I, I do think Everton were wrongly denied the chance of that late spot kick. I don't think it's fair. I think it's another terrible display of officiating and it's another game ruined by an obvious misuse of VAR I think it brings up all sorts of conversations corruption and all of this and these aren't things to be you know it's not just your average football fan who's just like oh corruption the league is corrupt and all of this it's kind of there's a pattern and it's reoccurring and it's quite embarrassing really to be honest because if VAR was being used correctly no one would really argue too much there's always going to people that be people that argue and but in this kind of case nobody can argue it's bad it's a tight race and I think people watching are working towards that I'd go as far as as to say Everton were robbed of you know a crucial point in their relegation battle I think yeah like I said the most obvious of obvious handballs in a long time uh, we're going to move across mm. to, to Man United and big win for Manchester City on Merseyside at Goodison Park against Everton but back in Manchester 0-0 at Old Trafford against Watford a point on the board for Watford as they look to scrap and get themselves in the running of getting out of the bottom three but again the focus is on United and again the focus is on United not taking the uh, making the most of their chances they pretty much did everything but score in this game 22 shots in total, some on target, some off target. Cristiano Ronaldo hit the post. Bruno Fernandes missed two absolute howlers. And Ralph Rangnick admitted that he was frustrated at the end of the game and, and he recycled this line of, yes, we are frustrated, but we created enough chances to win it. But again, this is a blow to United's chances of reaching the top four. Yeah, and it's just... I mean, the thing is, as a, as a City fan, obviously I'm slightly biased when I look at these things, but I'm literally scratching my head because I'm like... I, I don't understand what's going on, how this could have happened. I mean, on the scale of things, like it's not a panic station situation for United. Like, to, just taking a step back, I think still under Ragnick, I think they've only lost the one game since he came in, uh, which does give a little bit of stability compared to like the bit of the up and down that they had on, on, under Solskjaer before. Um, 
and they're still in fourth place, albeit they've now played uh, as, as you know less games than Chelsea and Liverpool ahead of them, and uh, you know they've played a lot more sorry more games than Chelsea and Liverpool ahead of them, and more games than Arsenal. Um, it's you know the the thing is that previously I think I think that the, the the last game that United lost was against Watford, so you could if you're being wanting to be a little perverse and they see this as actual progress, but it's it's not satisfactory. And as you say, you look you look at what they've got and what's there, and there's been all sorts of issues all across the pitch, and it's just not gelling. It's just not working together. And I think you know when when, when we look at football o- over the years, you know that there's you can have all the constituent parts, but there's something that holds it all together that brings it together. And that just seems not to be lacking there. And obviously there's a big influence with the manager and there's there's an adjustment period when the manager comes in and then we're not sure what's happening. And we're going to talk more about the impact of managers with Bielsa later on. Um, certain players coming in, how they gel with the team as well. Like all the parts are there, like the constituent parts. Are like if you were... You know, just playing a video game and you had all these players in your team, you'd be like, Great, this is a great squad, it's gonna work. It doesn't work like that. And there is you know, the, then there is the expectation and the pressure. You know, the expectation and the pressure from United, and rightly so because of what they've had in the past. And but they're now in a situation where, you know, th- th- they have been overtaken. Mm. And, and it, it pains them, but it's, they've been overtaken by by Liverpool, Chelsea, and, and and City in terms of, or at least matched by those clubs in terms of the the spending power and the attractiveness to other players. And also, because they led for so long, those other teams were playing catch up, and they've evolved in different ways. I mean, that's getting into more of a big, long term philosophical mm. argument about it. It's just a, it feels like a really frustrating time at Old Trafford as the for the fans. And possibly within the dressing room as well. And I don't know how you go about fixing and changing that. The, the, I mean, the best thing is really you've got just over 10 games left in this season. Qualifying for the Champions League gives you a good start for next season. Just looking at how that result affects the context of the top four. Liverpool and Chelsea, as we say, right here and right now, are in the middle of the uh, EFL Cup final. Manchester City are top now by six points, but Liverpool do have a game in hand. Manchester United, 27 games played, 47 points. West Ham, who we're going to touch on in just a second, 27 games played and 45 points in, in fifth place. Before we move on to, to West Ham and Spurs and their results this weekend, Isha, I want to ask you about Cristiano Ronaldo because he's never far away from the public glare, whether it's within Manchester United fans or within the Premier League. And there's a very interesting interview with uh, Dazen over the weekend where he talked about his future and he said that he's confident his body will allow him to play past 40. He's 36 now as it stands. He's got another year of his United contract with the potential of another 12 months. But he was quite open-ended when it came to United. He said that he wants to carry on playing, he wants to win things, and if a club offers him a chance to do that, then why would he not take up the challenge? That doesn't sound like he's completely nailing his colours to the mast at Manchester United. Yeah, it was an interesting interview, wasn't it? I think most of the fan base, what I've seen from Man United fans, they're quite divided on him, on their opinions of Ronaldo. I know... A lot of Man United fans are calling for him to be benched, given his recent performances. They're not really believing that he has the longevity to 
go ahead, you know, with his age and giving interviews like that, I saw a lot of people sort of mocking it. I think right now, if we're talking about the Watford game in particular, he did look sort of drained of self-belief. I feel like Bruno obviously had that unfortunate shot blocked by Ronaldo. That didn't really help. And Ronaldo, he should have scored when he hit the post. He was flagged offside regularly. But then in the grand of scheme of things, this is the first time since, was it 2018, um, that Man United have reached the knockout stages of the Champions League and Ronaldo played a huge part in that. He scored those mm. six goals in five consecutive Champions League matches. So we can't really forget that. Yes, right now, I guess he's on, what is it, one goal in the last 10 matches. He's looking incredibly frustrated. But overall, I think he's got a lot more to achieve, at least over the next year. I think Man United's summer plans with their ma managerial appointment will, of course, go hand in hand with what he, he can achieve. But I think there's a lot more to him. Uh, right, we are going to flick across to some of the other games involving top four. Leeds nil, Tottenham four. And obviously we know the situation with Leeds. They lost 6-0 to Liverpool in midweek and now Marcelo Bielsa has left the club. So we're going to talk about them in a bit more detail in part three. So I want to look at Tottenham and their lingering chances of maybe getting into the top four. They lost in midweek against Burnley and Antonio Conte's post-match press conference was end of day's stuff. He talked about meetings with the club and looking to find a solution to their problems. And then the players have reacted and gone out and battered, albeit a, a struggling and short on confidence lead side. Is this a game with Conte to maybe get a reaction from his players when they're played badly? If he says these types of things, then he gets a response. And if it is, when you're dealing with a top-level Premier League club, is that really a sustainable way to be to be operating? I mean, if it's a game, you've got to be really careful how you play it. I mean, it's a little bit like you know raising a child. If you say if you know if you do that this is going to happen you really have to follow it through they don't learn the lesson and so there's only going to be so many times you can pull that off but having said that we have seen Conte before and he's kind of come in season season after two seasons and then moved on and he, he's not afraid to do that and he knows he's in demand and he'll, he'll get the work I have to say that possibly I'm really struggling to think of a, a manager another manager in the Premier League right now that would terrify me more than Antonio Conte and I mean that in a really positive way because it, there, there's something about uh, there's something about him in terms of that would terrify me because I I would really I wouldn't want to let him down and also like it, it feels so I don't know the, 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 he has got this incredible ability with players you know I think a, 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 he gets overlooked a lot of times when people are talking about man management people often pick up on the likes of Guardiola uh, and what he does and rightly so but I think Conte as well especially you know he, he's got this real uh, ability uh, with with players to connect and get the best out of them and um, you, you know I know it was a difficult summer and a difficult period but Harry Kane is looking not just back to his best, but possibly better than he was going into last summer. Um, and I don't know whether that's because, you know, he, he sees a brighter future under Conte. He feels like they've got more chance of winning something for a long time than they have under Conte. And then the thought of that being taken away from him again uh, with those other things, and, you know, and, and you know, I mean, we know Kane's got it in his locker, but again, he played another sort of Kevin De Bruyne-style pass, which I would have been, if it had been Kevin De Bruyne, I wouldn't have shut up um, for, for ages. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Conte will say these things um, as a game. I think he means it when he's saying it. I think, you know, he's a very 
emotional heart on his sleeve type guy and i think when he says these things he means them and he comes out in the moment but at the same time i think that might just be that's how i felt then this is where i am now and move forward but at the same time i said all that it would not surprise me at all if more results go this way and conte leaves before the end of the season I'm just going to stop you there because there's been a huge, huge moment before we move on to the West Ham game in the EFL Cup final. An absolute blockbuster of a penalty shootout. Every single outfield player took and scored their penalties. It was keeper versus keeper or Kelleher versus Kepper to be more accurate. The king of Cork, Cleveland Kelleher, stepped up. Brilliant spot kick and Kepper against the keeper, Kelleher, has missed. He's blazed it over the bar, and I can tell you live that Liverpool are the 2022 EFL Cup champions. Congratulations to Jurgen Klopp's side, and Cuevan, you are the king of Cork. Right, we're going to get back to the weekend Premier League action. Uh, flicking back over to West Ham. Isha, we're going to ask you about this, because they're still in the race for top four. They're still pushing, putting pressure on United, putting pressure on Arsenal. And it was a 1-0 win at home to Wolves, who possibly might be going in the opposite direction. Their own European push has faltered slightly. But this is a big, big win in the context of the top four race. And two players that David Moyes has called on for bigger performances, Mikhail Antonio with the assist and Thomas Suchek with the goal. And West Ham are still in this fight. They absolutely are. Really important win for them, for sure. They haven't given up on their quest for that top four spot. You love to see some competition for that top four just intensifying this time of year. I think after a couple of draws, I sort of felt with West Ham, a, a win was due for them. Great performance from that birthday boy, Suchek, today. Then, yeah, like you say, excellent play from even Aaron Cresswell, um, Fornals, and Mikel Antonio. He's looking really, really sharp again. I feel like... They always tend up to tend to pick the those pick up the points when they need them most. I think in terms of top four, I mean, let's see. The only reason uh, for me, if I am being slightly negative, the only reason they may not make it is they may put all their focus into the Europa League. I mean, if they do get knocked out in the round of 16 to Sevilla in March then perhaps things will change. But as it stands, I mean, they've got some fight in them and they know when to bring it to the table when they need to. Yeah, uh, big, big weekend in the top four. And now we know, obviously, live that the first piece of domestic silverware has been handed out to Liverpool. I'm going to catch my breath and take a quick break. After the break, we're going to be talking about the relegation picture. Some big, big results for teams down the bottom this weekend, including Burnley and Newcastle, as they look to stay in the Premier League next season. We're going to be getting stuck into all of that in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. As always, if you're a fan of the podcast or if you're a new listener, we do a daily Premier League podcast here at FSD. If you hit subscribe, you can get access to that as soon as it is ready. All the way between now and the end of the season, we will be with you every step of the way. Right, before the break, it was the Premier League title race and the top four. Now we're going to be looking down the bottom and what's becoming a bit of a ding-dong of a scrap to stay in the Premier League and avoid dropping down into the Championship. So, Isha, we're going to go to you first on this one. Another win, another big result for your team, Newcastle, this weekend. 2-0 away from home at Brentford. Goals for Jolinton and Joe Willock. No time to relax just yet, and I'm sure you're not, you know, on the proverbial beach of Premier League safety. But Newcastle do seem to be ticking all the right boxes at the right time. We've talked about this a few times of... Teams in the relegation zone, making sure they time it just right so they don't overcook it. Eddie Howe seems to be getting it right. The players seem to be pulling in the right direction. And yes, Brentford are struggling, but this is another big, big win for Newcastle. It really is. I think being rock bottom in January, it really just helped us sign the right kind of players that we needed who were prepared to play for the club and just scrap it out. There are a lot of players who weren't up for that and that's fine. The ones we got on board, I was very, very happy and that's when we needed it most. Like you say, we're not safe, but it's definitely a positive feeling right now with Newcastle fans. We believe in Eddie Howe. What we've seen, we've seen big transformations. Joel Linton, even John Joe Shelby, a lot of us had written him off. And then Joe Willock, you know, he scored yesterday after being so low on confidence and not really finding that form that he had when we first got him on loan from Arsenal. So there's a lot of transformations that have been happening. There's a lot more work to be done, but... I am feeling a, a, a lot better than I was a few weeks ago and it's just on the uphill battle from now because, it, you know, there are other teams around us, Burnley, there are, there are teams that are fighting really, really hard. We need to match that work rate. We need to deal with the injuries we've had. You know, Callum Wilson, even Kieran Trippier, very unfortunate, but we can do it. The morale is very, very high. We have a lot of transparency and we have this connection with the new owners and it's very refreshing the fans are loving it it's a really tough next few weeks and they'll be very telling but I'm certainly feeling a lot better than I was in January yeah and on the flip side of it despite the fact there's only a point between them in the table form is really damaging for Brentford four wins from five in the Premier League for Newcastle but just one point from five in uh, from their last five uh, for Brentford we're going to flick across to one of the other games down the bottom this weekend. Ant, Crystal Palace won, Burnley won. You'd look at the situation with Patrick Vieira and Crystal Palace and say that they're probably safe. But uh, some people <clears throat> have predicted that Burnley are going to dig themselves out of it. Sean Dyche does it. He loves to dance this last dance. And based on the last few results, Burnley are starting to Burnley. Yes, this is only a point. They could have maybe gone on and got three. But we're starting to see those games in hands that they've got... 
benefiting them as they look to drag themselves and drag themselves at the end of the weekend they're just a point away from safety after being bottom at the start of 2022 we talk about timings and getting this right nobody does that better than Sean Dyche and nobody does that better than Burnley yeah and I think it, it's interesting that you use the word to drag themselves I don't think it's dragging themselves from Burnley I think they kind of you know expect to be here and have the grit and determination and the build to get through that uh, I, th- I think where they did struggle it was when they found themselves qualifying for Europe and fitting in the European games as well um, and I'm not saying that they they, they belong uh, by any means down in a relegation battle at all because I think they are definitely Premier League worthy and, and I, I love them as a club and as a ground and as a manager and some of the players that they've brought in recently have been a real blessing to us to have them in the Premier League I, I think that they have this now this know-how about what it takes to get there that's ingrained in the club and in uh, Sean Dyche I think I'm right in saying he's the longest serving manager in the Premier League right now uh, and he spent most of that time down in this sort of like bottom six or seven teams battling it through uh, and so he has the, the grit he has the battle scars if you will and, and, and the experience to get you through all of that um, you know they're in a position as well where they're almost out of the relegation zone and they've got two games in hand on Leeds United uh, and three on Brentford uh, which may have sort of had something to do with one of the big decisions that we've seen over this weekend um, you say Burnley as, as, as a word out Burnley I themselves. say it as an adjective I, I don't say can. it as a word I say it as yeah. an adjective <laughs> Adjectives are words too. Oh, true. Um, true. You know, we're not just here to talk about football. <laughs> we're educational. Um, yeah, I, I, I think um, it, it, I see exactly what you mean, um, but I, I'm not sure if that's demeaning uh, to, to to them and the club. I think the um, there's a lot more to them than than some people will give them credit. You know, some people will still uh, refer to their style of football, and it's so much better mm. than that. And it has been for a while, even before they brought in the likes of Wurt Verhorst, who I insist on saying his name now. I've learned how to say it every time I get the opportunity, and uh, Maxwell Corne as well. And you know, it's still it's it's going to be tight. Is but I think that's part of. The, the way Burnley operate and you know I, I don't know if you're like I, I see similarities in myself in that quite often I can be given an assignment to do and I've got five weeks to do it and when do I start doing it the night before and I think this is possibly what's happened with Burnley as well that they're building through they get through they're fine they're not phased by it. the pressure you see elsewhere managers being forced out that's not happening at Burnley they, they have this resilience and grit um, that I think we'll see them there and I think amongst the fans that I know um, it is a it is in the back of their minds but honestly I don't think they're as concerned as the likes of Everton Leeds and Newcastle fans uh, the other two Premier League games from yesterday Aston Villa getting themselves back on the winning track Isha, it's been kind of a bit of a mixed few weeks for them the Steven Gerrard bounce effect was a real positive to start with but this is their first win in five in the Premier League we know that they're probably safe Brighton on the flip side of probably on the side of definitely safe they've got 33 points already but three defeats in a row for the Seagulls this was big for Gerard because he, he said in his post-game press conference that he was becoming concerned about certain things to do with the team and the form that they were showing but when they can turn in a result like this it does lend yourself to thinking that they probably will be safe from uh, from Premier League relegation yeah 
I think with what Steven Gerrard has said about, you know, he's told the group to sort of target that top 10 finish with their 14 fixtures remaining. And he's organized all these sort of extracurricular social activities to kind of lift the morale in the camp. And I think, of course, you know, technically he's looking to improve Villa. And I think before the Brighton game, they hadn't scored, I saw in 225 minutes or so. But now, all of a sudden, I just think, well... They're on the up, and I think the players will want to be part of that long-term plan with him. Even Matty Cash, did you see him? 100% aerial draws won, 100% tackle success, 52 touches, eight was it eight clearances? Obviously, he scored as well. Yeah, it's, it's against Brighton, but it's like if you're looking at the stark contrast there with Brighton, I mean, to really progress, I think Brighton need to sign about three three, four good quality players in the summer to sort of cement themselves as a team that isn't always in this relegation fight every single season. I think the, the squad right now, the way they've sort of been plucked apart and it's they're sort of paper thin, I don't know. Not, I wouldn't feel too positive. But with Villa, I mean, I'd be excited to be part of that. I mean, I think the players certainly are and it was a really positive performance from them. Um, and then the final game from the weekend, Ants Southampton 2, Norwich nil. Southampton are definitely probably in that block of teams that you'd say are already safe, probably, I, I don't want to sound disingenuous, but probably not going to push for Europe, but are still a very enjoyable Premier League team to watch. Really effective performance against Norwich, two goals. One of them was brilliant from Oriol Romeo, just battered it into the top corner. But we're approaching that point in the season where we're, we're seeing like little splits in the league and you look at it at the moment between 8th and ninth, Wolves in 8th there's a 5 point gap between them and Southampton you then go a little bit further down there's, there's little mini leagues starting to open up but then you look at Norwich down the bottom 17 points from 26 there's been little flickers of optimism since Dean Smith has come in but despite the fact the gap is not actually that big I'm looking at the table now Everton are 17th they're on 22 it is only 5 points but they do have 2 games in hand and you just think as much as you don't want to write it off until mathematically that's the case. Norwich's race is is run. Yeah, I I, I mean I, I I'm loath to say an, another nail in the coffin, but simply because people have been saying that from early on in the season, but you know way before, um, you know they got rid of uh, Fark. But the, I mean the situation is, is, you know where they are, they simply mathematically they have to overtake three other teams to be safe. And the problem that they have is the three teams immediately above them all have better form in the last five games. Um, the, 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 and then above that, uh, account for Leeds and Brentford, if they fall away and drop into that relegation zone, that's still not enough um, for, for, for Norwich to get up. So, you know, you, you're potentially looking that, you know, the, the likes of Newcastle who seem to be breaking clear as we've seen, and, and I've never seen, you know, I've not seen Eddie Howe look as happy as he has been since he's been at Newcastle, which is great. And I think that's infectious and it's gone around. But, you know, when you look around, I think for Norwich to to, to, to get have any chance, I mean, they've got some big games coming up in, in, in their last 12 games that they've got. In, in the, and it could be their last 12 games, not just in this season, but in the Premier League full stop. But, you know, the, don't underestimate it. I think of those 12 games for them to have any chance of staying up not only do they have to win five of those games which is more than they won, won all season you're also looking at the complete collapse of more than just Leeds and Brentford but also Everton and possibly Leicester 
just quickly before we do grab another break, I'm, I'm saying this to everyone when they're on the weekend review show because the way the season pans out about whether we'll have either of you back on again. So we're going to go with a little bit of a prediction. Isha, I'm going to go to you first. As it stands, uh, it's Burnley, Watford and Norwich in the bottom three. There's a number of teams probably stretching all the way up into mid-table that could slide down into it. As it stands, here and now, who are your calls to be relegated from the Premier League this season? Oh, let's see. I mean, Norwich and Watford, I mean, they've been down from the start. I think Burnley's insane drawing skills will keep them safe. And I think Everton will manage to stay safe as well. For Leeds or Brentford, I mean, it's not looking good, but I'd have to say Leeds look perhaps more likely to go down right now if their managerial change just doesn't make an immediate impact. Uh, and would you agree just one change down the bottom and, and it being Burnley that power out and the slightly more established figures of Newcastle and Everton being OK? I mean, sadly, you know, I, th- I think this change may come too late for for Leeds. Um, and I'm also I'm also really worried about Brentford because I, I, I really like what, I, what I've seen of them. And, and you know, just having seen, the, you know, that result that um, Watford got the, at the weekend as well, that could be enough to give them some confidence to get through. I mean, I, I'd say as much as I'd love to see them stay up, I think Norwich are gone. Um, I think Leeds are in real trouble. And then it's possibly between the two London Fords, Brentford and Watford. I'm just trying to give my own call on it. I would agree with, yeah, I would agree with Watford and Norwich uh, going down. I do think that Smith and, and Hodgson have brought a bit of positivity, but I just think it's it's too little too late. I've, I've bet the house on Burnley staying up, so I'm definitely not going against that. It's very <laughs> difficult to call. I think form, Brentford, but also they have still got 11 games to go and they've got more in the bank than other teams have. So I think it's going to be Brentford or Leeds that will slide, but I, I am worried about Everton. It just... The, the Lampard effect hasn't really kicked on in the way that he and Everton would have anticipated. So I think it's going to be between them three and it's going to go right to the wire. It could even potentially be a, a final day relegation dogfight, which if you're not a supporter of one of them, you'll be delighted with. I think the game, if you want to get tickets to, to a game on the last day of the season, Brentford-Leeds could be the most valuable game that happens in terms of uh, the, the money at stake. Yeah, it's going to be tight, it's going to be tense and uh, and here on the Football Social Daily, as I mentioned before, we will be with you every step of the way, keeping you updated on Brentford, Leeds, all the way up to the top of the table with Manchester City and Liverpool. Hit subscribe and you can get a brand new podcast every single day. Right, that was a nice little segue, so uh, we're going to take a break here on the Football Social Daily. After the break, we're taking a break from the weekend action and talking about the two big breaking news stories. Marcelo Bielsa has been sacked by Leeds United as they look to battle to stay in the Premier League and Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich has made a big, big statement over his future at Stamford Bridge. We're going to be talking about both of them in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to Sunday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Part one and part two are reviews or were reviews of a busy weekend of Premier League action. But to wrap up on tonight's show, we're going to be talking about two pretty serious breaking news stories concerning the Premier League in the last 24 hours. And I'm going to go to you first on news from Leeds, Elland Road. Marcelo Bielsa, iconic manager, I said at the start, Marcelo Bielsa. And I don't think that is too much of an exaggeration because Leeds have made this decision essentially through gritted teeth. They confirmed in an official statement this morning that they wanted to make a change. They felt that this was the right time to do it to save their Premier League status. Marcelo Bielsa will be loved. He'll be adored by the Leeds fans for all eternity. Murals throughout the city. Story after story of kindness and generosity towards Leeds fans and and people that live in Leeds mean that whatever happens... Marcelo Bielsa will always be loved but looking at this in the cold hard facts of the situation you've pointed out to me before we started recording this idea of where he ranks uh, in terms of the Leeds all-time record for managers he's fifth uh, in terms of win percentages that's been a little bit skewed by this season Uh, if we weren't counting this season he'd be second in behind Don Revy who's a legend at Leeds he's now slipped down to fifth behind Garam Callister David O'Leary and Simon Grayson is this the right call by Leeds? We talked about Newcastle before the break and Burnley and, and other teams that are down there about making sure the timing in everything they do in a relegation battle is absolutely spot on. Is this too late? If you do like Newcastle and you take out Steve Bruce and you bring in Eddie Howe and you give him a little bit of a bedding in period so that when he needs to kick in, he can kick in. Leeds have got no time for that. Whoever replaces Marcelo Bielsa, even if it's a short-term deal, will immediately be under pressure to keep them in the Premier League. And that's a huge challenge for whoever they bring in. Absolutely. And uh, there's not a lot of wiggle room there, is there? Because, you know, there's no transfer window to bring in any talent. And also, he's going to have the same injuries uh, that Bielsa has been dealing with in the likes of Phillips and Bamford, who have been, you know, almost crippling the team missing them they were so important to them especially um last season i think the the irony of this situation is i think part of the history of leeds which has made bielsa such a legend um is also prompting the club to move at this situation and that's simply the fact that it took them so long to get back into the top division of english football and that's that's what made Bielsa a, a legend and a hero, but also that's must generate a huge amount of fear because you know it's taken them all that time to get back, fifteen, sixteen years. I can't remember off the top of my head, and they've only been back in for two. So for them to drop out again and risk being away for it for that long, that is a. I, I hate myself for saying this, but that's a terrifying thing for shareholders, you know. Um, and the people that run the club, the business side of the club, it is terrifying. Obviously, it's not ideal for fans either. But from that point of view, I think that's going to um, have helped them pull the trigger on this. I think the fact that um, 
we're hearing this, we're recording this Sunday night, and you know they've actually sort of suggested there will be an announcement on Monday, which, given the length of time that these things take, uh, suggests that this decision was made a couple of weeks ago at least, or at least they started putting the feelers out. Um, the the thing is, I don't. I, I think there was a question mark over whether or not Bielsa would still be there at the end of the season anyway, just of his own will and his own accord, because um, I think this is possibly the longest he stayed at a, cl- yeah, uh, a club. Is, yeah, uh, yeah um, Not just in recent, like in his whole career. And we know how revered he is by other managers. Um, you know, Guardiola is, you know, constantly referred to him as being such a big influence and, you know, Guardiola sought him out at the end of his career to, to learn from him. Um, but it's interesting that um, I mean, obviously, the, the, I, I think the psychology of the situation that they're in adds this pressure to them. But um, one of the criticisms has been, you know, he's not changed. He's stuck to his system. He's stuck to his guns. And that's been one of his criticisms. I, that crit- same criticism was leveled at Guardiola when he came in and he tried to do things different and it didn't quite work. Obviously, you know, still ended the season in the top four. They um, weren't in the same sort of precarious position that Leeds are in. Um but it, it it's I think it's a sad it's really sad. It just shows that there you know, we really are in a time where um the the, the romance of football is kinda of gone if 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 they can make that move and and uh, even the most hard nosed lead supporter today, I don't think they're gonna be glad that he's gone. No. Um Isha, is this the right time to do this I don't think we're really going to get a clear answer on whether it is the right call because as, as Ant rightly just said right at the end there no Leeds fan is is happy with this which is quite an unusual situation if you think of when clubs are normally in a relegation battle there's normally a big block of fans that are dying for that manager to leave if you think back to the situation that Steve Bruce found himself in the situation that Rafa Benitez found himself in this season that is just not the case with Bielsa the big question now is considering there's so little football left between now and the end of the season and Leeds are in such a difficult situation, has maybe their loyalty, maybe even a bit of deference to Bielsa scuppered them? Because if it wasn't Marcelo Bielsa that didn't have this fantastic relationship with the fans and the club, then maybe he would have been sacked in January and Leeds would have had time to readjust. Maybe. I think that's a really good point because if we look at these teams, I mean, Newcastle included at the bottom end of the table or those teams that have been struggling this season, it's been quite ruthless. You know, uh, Norwich, manager of replacement. Newcastle, manager of replacement. Watford, twice. Surely a lot of Leeds fans were looking around thinking, OK, we love him, but it's going it's to reach a point where it will be too late, you know. And of course, like you say, Bielsa is a great manager. He has a great identity. He has a great connection with the fans. They've been on a journey together. But it was always going to be difficult with the crop of players, you know, to sort of play towards his vision in the Premier League. And I think right now, perhaps it won't be easy, but a fight, that relegation fight, it's still salvageable for Leeds. But it's now or never. I'd say any later than this week, I, I, I would put them down as going down. I think, you know, Burnley are picking up points. Newcastle, we've ha- had our... We, we're on the up. Norwich are somewhat invigorated with Dean Smith, but, you know, I still kind of think they will go down. And then with Everton, for me, that Everton performance against City, it was actually quite promising. I, I don't know why, but some my instinct tells me they will be safe, given that performance I saw, that resilience against Man City... 
yeah, they ended up, you know, obviously Man City got the late winner, but I just thought, no, this isn't a team that's going down. Even Lampard, he's not used to relegation scraps, but still. Then with Leeds, it's kind of, yeah, I, I think it's definitely the right time to just try and keep them in the Premier League. I think right now Leeds needs someone to steady the ship and just keep them in the league. And unfortunately, Bielsa's not the guy. Um, we're going to flick across to the other story that I mentioned and Isha I'm going to throw it straight back to you it's concerning Chelsea and Roman Abramovich now in relation to the situation that is connecting Roman Abramovich to Chelsea Football Club the political pressure currently from the UK government on Russian financial influence within the UK accuracy of information is obviously king and vital in this so I'm actually just going to read directly from the statement that Roman Abramovich uh, released from Chelsea Football Club yesterday because I think At this stage of the game, this genuinely is all we know. So the statement states, During my nearly 20-year ownership of Chelsea Football Club, I have always viewed my role as a custodian of the club. My job is to ensure we are successful as we have been right the way up until today and building for the future whilst playing a positive role in our community. I've always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. I remain committed to these values. That is why, as of today, I am giving the trustees of the Chelsea Charitable Foundation the stewardship and care of Chelsea FC. Now, there's a report from the BBC tonight that is stated the Charitable Foundation have not actually accepted Abramovich's move or change of status at the club. Now, there's no indication at this stage that Abramovich is looking to sell Chelsea. There's no indication at this stage that anyone is looking to buy Chelsea. Both of those things could be miles down the road. But this is a big statement. We know the situation is evolving, both in reference to politics and in relation to Abramovich and Chelsea Football Club. But this is a big, big move and is indicating how the situation in Russia and Ukraine is already having a big impact on Premier League football. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a really complex, it's a difficult, unprecedented situation at Chelsea. There's no certainty what's going to happen. The best we can do is just discuss sort of the statements and like you read it, I mean, it's quite ambiguous. What does that mean? And now with new news today, I do think what's certain is that the government, they are stamping down hard on the sort of, you know, businessmen like Abramovich. He's a huge, huge public figure. And I think... Abramovich, you know, he took the right sensible steps to place Chelsea under the steward, that stewardship of trust. And I think not using Chelsea as a political pawn in his own circumstances is something to be said. I think whether it is a big moment for ownership in football, not necessarily. I think football clubs, especially Premier League clubs, they're so big and so highly valued. Now, it would be really difficult for them to come back under supporter ownership. So I don't think that was ever sort of suggested. I think most likely they'll need very wealthy owners to oversee their management. And it was just sort of symbolic somewhat, his kind of his statement. That's how I saw it anyways. I think people like Abramovich, they're always going to, with these kinds of resources, they're always going to come with a political risk. I think right now the focus should be on how football can just use its influence to ease the suffering of the Ukrainian people. And I do think the government are stamping hard on that. It's just a really complex matter. Looking at the position that Chelsea, the Premier League and and all the relevant parties find themselves in, and ownership 
is always a very controversial subject in terms of the background of owners, the structure of ownership, where the money that is being ploughed into football clubs is coming from and what the original source of those revenue streams are. But given this position at Chelsea, and again, I do emphasise this point that there is no indication of a sale at this stage. According to a report from Bloomberg, um, a United States financial newspaper this morning, Chelsea's valued at about £2.1, £2.2 billion on on the stock market. It's unlikely that this is going to be resolved, certainly between now and the end of the season. But are Chelsea simply just taking sensible steps and Abramovich taking sensible steps, or are they laying the ground for the potential that Abramovich walks away? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't have that much money on a daily basis to tell you whether or not these are sensible steps, and I would advise you to not... It's to... more of a payday situation yeah, yeah. for you. If you, if, you, if you catch you at the end of the month, you're good for a what, few What day is the show? Yeah. yeah, actually, I should be good for that then. Um, I, I, I... <laughs> actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think let's just put this into perspective. So the club's valued at two point two billion. Um, Abramovich has lent them the total loan that he's given Chelsea is one point five billion. Um, so that's three quarters of the value of the club comes from him. Um, now, if we don't know what's going to happen, but if he's stepping back from the club, that's one thing. If he steps out or is forced out by whatever reason, or we see a situation where assets are seized, and those kinds of things, we, we literally don't know. Suddenly you've got one of the mainstays of English, if not world football, and in fact, you know, one of the most successful clubs of this um, century, suddenly in facing a pre- financial precariousness situation, the likes of Derby County fans will be able to relate to. And just to put into perspective, 1.5 billion, that has eight zeros, right? And to put it into, if you're not good with numbers, let me put it another way. 1.5 billion would buy you 15 million Jack Grealishes. That's that's how much the money that is. And what and what and and well, let me ask you: given the fact that sometimes Pep Guardiola doesn't seem to know what to do with one Jack Grealish, <laughs> what would you do with fifteen of them? Uh, you'd raise a lot of newspaper column inches with what was going on in the the, the nightclubs. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think that would solve the the, the, the position of many clubs. The, 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 I think this the, the reason why I highlight is that is because suddenly we go in the system that we have now, and I'm obviously I'm speaking as a Man City fan. We are very wealthy owners, just like Newcastle do as well. I should will will we'll, we'll no doubt have mentioned that on, on a few occasions. But this kind of situation where uh, we have overseas owners of clubs. And that's what's coming into this. Overseas owners of clubs, external politics events happen that could lead to this kind of thing. And then suddenly, you know, your club, and obviously on the scale of things, let's be completely honest and put this right out there. You know, what happens to, you know, our football clubs on the scale of things pales insignificantly to what's going on for the people of Ukraine right now. And those who have family there and and just what's happening on the ground is atrocious. Um, but the knock-on effect of yeah, but we we put ourselves in a situation because of the way that football has gone over years, and this has been slowly coming, you know, and and it's you know we've got ownership from all over the world. You've got Thai ownership in uh, Leicester, you've got American ownership in Liverpool and in Arsenal. We're going to Saudi Arabia with Newcastle, uh, the Emirates with City, and it just grows on and expands. And sooner or later, there is going to become some kind of issue that comes up between 
one country or another, which is beyond the scale of football in terms of its day-to-day dealings, but has this impact on it. And we are in completely uncharted waters for what might happen here. But the knock-on effect is... And, and you know, looking the other way, uh, you've seen the, the footballers from Shatka, Shatka Donetsk that are stuck um, and, and unable to get out of the situation as it is. So there's all these crazy situations that are happening because of this incident. But I, I, I think... You know, there is a power within football. There is a power within football, within the fans, within the clubs themselves. They have a voice. They have an audience uh, to be able to uh, react and send send a message. It seems very, it seems very impotent in a sense to just say send a message at this stage with what's going on. But uh, to take some form of unity and some action, you know, and and I think you know. It, what this situation in Ukraine needs right now is some unity and some communication. And the more of that we can have in football, well, but at least that gives us some hope. Yeah, I agree. And I think, again, we find ourselves in a, in a situation in 2022 where we're saying the line that a group of people kicking a ball around a football pitch really does, as Ant, as you say, pale in comparison to, to much wider and much more serious issues that are happening across the globe. Um, on that subject, we have some more breaking news. We're not going to have time to, uh, to really dig into this. I'm going to pass this over to Jim and the gang for tomorrow. But the English FA have announced tonight that they will not play Russia in any football matches at any level for the foreseeable future. That's according to an official statement that was made in the last hour. Out of solidarity with Ukraine and the Ukrainian people, we wholeheartedly condemn the atrocities being committed by the Russian leadership and feel it is appropriate to take this stance. That uh, adds on to Czech Republic, Poland, Sweden, who've all said they won't play against Russia in the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. And there's also been an extraordinary meeting from the FIFA Council tonight. So just going to read you a couple of the bits from this. As I say, Jim and the rest of the team are going to pick it up tomorrow. FIFA have confirmed that Russia cannot play any FIFA matches in Russia. Russia cannot call itself Russia in any official games and will be referred to as the Football Union of Russia. And that includes if they reach the World Cup. No flag or anthem of Russia will be used in matches where teams from the Football Football Union of Russia are participating. And FIFA have also stated that the next step, if the situation is not de-escalated, will be to ban Russia from all competitions should things not improve rapidly and sufficiently. So some big, big statements and steps being made by the world of football governance. There's going to be more of this to come over the next 24, 48 hours and beyond. And here on the Football Social Daily, we will do our best to keep you right up to date. But for tonight, myself, Isha and Ant, we're going to call it a day. Guys, as always, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Wonderful stuff indeed. And that's it for the weekend edition of the Football Social Daily podcast. We're going to have a really busy show again tomorrow. So if you hit subscribe, you can get access to that as soon as it is ready. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.